This is episode 302 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at the worst films of 2019. What will make their list, what will not make the list, all that more on today's Real Me In. What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real Me In, colon, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and this is episode 302, and if you were a new person that decided to come by, and this was your first one, God bless you. Um, <laughs> uh, if this was the first episode that you decided to join us on because you're interested about movies or you wanted to jump into a conversational you know, podcast about movies... I think this is the perfect episode to do that because we're going to be talking about a lot of them. But uh, yeah, if you are new, that's what we typically do. It is a different episode, but uh, my co-host will get into the specifics of that in just a second. But if you're a returning listener, welcome back. We always appreciate you guys. Um, As I said at the top, 302. We will be going over the worst films of 2019. This is not going to be a bash fest uh, like some people, uh, we are not David Ehrlich over here. Uh, what we will do is that we will say if it's a bad movie and we will say why we're not going to just say, oh, it was terrible and not back up our claims. And, you know, uh, except for maybe one or two of them that maybe deserve it. Most of these are, you know, movies that tried or whatever, but it's just our silly little opinion. So that is uh, the topic of today's episode. No news or trailers just the list. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, but before we jump right into it, uh, if you guys could, uh, whether you listen to on Spotify, uh, CastBox, uh, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, whatever, please let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to and spread the love around the real me in love. We would really appreciate it. Now, my co-host over there, uh, he is going to be the MC on the episode because he's always the MC on list episodes. Joseph, how is it going, sir? And uh, are you excited to talk about the clunkers of 2019, the the final year of the decade, to talk about what were what were the movies that left the biggest stain in the underpants? That is Hollywood. I am I am excited, and and just to kind of uh, for the audience reiterate what you were saying. Yes, this is not just a snark fest. Um, in fact, you know, I used to have the fear that that it might turn into that, but. You know, we can we can take it seriously. We can take it seriously. Certainly, we will have some words for some of these movies, and we will not and we will not um uh we'll censor ourselves, but we won't censor ourselves in a certain way uh, about our thoughts on them, right? Um, but we won't be just like the snarky ones. We're we're gonna take this pretty seriously. We're gonna talk about what we didn't like because the fact of the matter is, um, you know, some some critics don't like to do this. I respect that. Um, I didn't like to do this once, but the fact of the matter is, just taking it as kind of a cold hard fact, we see bad movies, and lists are a good way to take inventory of what you've seen that are that are really good or really bad. Sometimes people do like underrated choices. Some people do overrated choices. Some people are list minded, and I think that we are both list list minded. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing lists at the end of the year. And so the fact of the matter is, we saw some bad movies, and it's a perfect chance to. Uh, to do that, so we're gonna be doing what we usually do. We're gonna go, um, you know, me number ten, chase number ten, me number nine, or actually, in this case, it's reversed. But whatever, uh, you get the point. It's uh, one person gives one of their choices, next person gives that same number uh, choice. And if we have a choice that is higher on a list, we'll pass on it. We'll say, 
maybe maybe we'll say something guarded like, oh, that's a really great choice uh, and nothing else. Or we'll just say we'll pass. Um, so that's pretty much how it goes. And it should I mean, these tend to go pretty quick. Um, I don't think that last year's episode was very long when we did this. It was only like an hour and 20 minutes or something. So these usually go pretty short. Um, I guess to start off, if you are new to this show, usually I fill my list with tiny little things that I've seen that Chase does not have time or interest to see. <laughs> so knowing him and knowing what he's seen, because I, I keep a pretty good record of that in my head, he's only seen two movies on my top 10 uh and i think he's only seen uh maybe maybe two or three even in my dishonorable mentions so he doesn't see a whole lot of the bad ones that i do um i'm sure that obviously he sees some bad ones but uh but yeah so we're going to be starting this out now i don't expect chase to do this i'm just going to run through my dishonorable mentions list real fast i don't even think that chase uh, <laughs> like prepared one of those but I will. I did um, because I'm going to be posting this also in print form on my website at the end of the month as of this recording. Uh, by the time people listen to this, it'll be up. And so my dishonorable mentions before um, I get started – I'll go ahead and actually start on my, um, on my list. Before I do that, I'll just give my dishonorable mentions. So I've got After, The Beach Bum, The Best of Enemies, Captive State, Climax, Dark Phoenix, A Dog's Journey, The Hustle – Replicas, Serenity, What Men Want, and Wonder Park. Those are my dishonorable mentions. All very bad movies that did not make my list. Um, but what did my, make my list? So, I guess I'll go ahead and start, Chase. I'll have you. I'll have you uh, end us off and then uh, and take us out of the episode. So, at number ten on my list. Um, okay, <laughs> this was one of the biggest disappointments of the year uh you know during this oscar season we we always like to find uh prestige movies to be really good especially if they have really good people involved and this one certainly had really good people involved it had the screenwriter of tinker taylor soldier spy it had the director of brooklyn it had cinematographer roger deakins attached but the goldfinch was a painful experience uh and that is my number 10 is goldfinch now this one is the story of a young boy played by uh, Oakes Fegley as a boy and Ansel Elgort as a man. Uh, his name is Theo, and he is involved in a terrorist attack that destroys part of an uh, an art studio uh, and, or an art museum, I think. And he decides to uh, – well, in the midst of that, basically a painting – that's the painting of the title, The Goldfinch – goes missing, uh, one of Fabricius's paintings. And um, – the whole mystery of the movie is where did that go and what happened to Theo in the intervening years after this accident? Uh, unfortunately, it seems that that screenwriter Peter Strawn and director John Crowley are not ex not, not at all interested in exploring this character uh, or this or any of these ideas. Um, there's a real attempt here to carve this story into some sort of grand tragedy or elaborate puzzle. It fails at both of them because it can't elicit any sort of strong emotion it can't convey a single good idea and it just fails on a broader filmmaking level because none of the actors can elevate this material it's just dead on arrival um it just it, it all comes down to the dullest it basically feeling like the dullest and least consequential chess game ever devised uh that's how i put it in my review i stick by that i think i even said that in my review on our show 
um, it somehow falls short in every single regard, and it also finds new ways to fall short. It is really bad, and it was really unpleasant. It's 149 minutes, far, far, far too long for this material, far too long for us to follow these empty, dead-eyed ciphers. Um, just, just a painful experience. So my number 10 is The Goldfinch. Are you going to be passing on this one? I'm going to take a hard pass on it. Okay. All right. Yeah, I figured as much. So what is your number 10? So my number 10 uh, graced me with uh, one of the worst ones of the year, right right, right off the top. Um, uh, I guess as honorable mentions, so I can lead up to this, you know, I saw stuff like uh, Escape Room and uh, there was another one I watched in January, but I was like, all right, we're off to a great start. So in February, I was uh, graced with two of them. I'm going to skip on one of them because it's probably on the list. But um, so for number 10, <sighs> you know, the missus wanted to see the movie. And, of course, I she I have to put her through a bunch of, you know, uh, indie films, a bunch of films that she may not even like. I mean, she saw Uncut Gems with me last night, and um, that was probably panic-inducing for her, so... I have to endure comedies or rom-coms that, as a fan of the genre, some of them I just don't draw to. For what men want, it still uh, plagues my mind that and Little, and Little did not make my list uh, because it got pushed out, as two of the the worst comedy experiences that I've had all year. And um, what men want, uh, the reason why I have that over little is just because Taraji P. Henson is better than this. She's such a great actress, but like every single joke fell flat. I, I hate the overblown hospital look with the, uh, the lighting and how everything's just all white and overly lit. And that's how all these comedies are shot nowadays. So it just, everything looks flat. The jokes are flat. They're trying too hard. And it was my first introduction to Aldous Hodge um, and luckily he has gotten better this year with his other stuff with like, you know, uh, Brian Banks and clemency. Um, yeah, I, it's just embarrassing. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, I, I, I knew it was going to probably be bad, but you know, the thing, the things for you do for love, uh, that, that's how I'm going to end this review. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I like Taraja and, you know, I like the cast involved, but it just, it was just a huge misfire. And I wasn't looking for like the next comedic masterpiece. I just want something to be entertaining. Um, but this is just—it was not promising. And what's even uh, like even sadder about this, Joel, is that Paramount is pumping a lot of these out. And uh, we we even talked about one on the show the other week with uh, uh, Selma Hayek, um, mm-hmm. like a boss. Oh my god, the, I, it's coming up. Yeah, which is basically the same release spot as like what Mim won. So it's like Paramount wants to do this to themselves. They want to embarrass themselves. In February and January, so I, I don't I can't help them. They're psychotic at this point. So uh, <laughs> if you want to embarrass yourself and do do this damage to you, that that is your prerogative. But uh, as far as comedies go, rom coms, it's just it, it. Unfortunately for me, it's not uh, uh, forgettable. Uh, I I could have easily said that. It's it's definitely memorable for all the wrong reasons. And I hate that. I remember it. So yeah. Uh, what men want is number 10. So it can only get better from here, right? 
Right. I mean, like I said, this is in my dishonorable mentions. I also caught up with little. I think this is definitely worse than that. Um, you know, I like, like I mentioned, I liked, uh, what, what women want, uh, the 2000 film that this is basically a remake of just, um, uh, gender and race switched. Uh, I like that film. It was a little more honest about its main character. This one is not honest and it has no idea what it wants to say. So I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's bad. Uh, just barely missed my list, but, um, but I, I sympathize with you. All right. So my number nine, um, is the first of, I'm, tr- I'm going to count them real fast. One, two, I think three, three Netflix originals <laughs> on my list. You know, they, they have some good stuff this year, but they have some real, real clunkers too. And, uh, the first of those at number nine is a movie called rim of the world. Uh, I think this one came out back in March Although I didn't catch up with it until later, but it's basically in the in the uh, in the in the tradition of stuff like the Goonies and Gremlins and obviously Stranger Things. It's 1980s flavored, and it's about a group of kids played by Jack Gore, Mia Check, um, Benjamin Flores Jr., and Alessio Scalzato, who are attending a uh, a camp for for kids, a summer camp, when the Earth is attacked by aliens. And they have to kind of band together and survive. Um, they are also given a mission by a dying astronaut um, played by um, – uh, oh, gosh. Lily Collins. No, not Lily Collins. Um, <laughs> hold on. Something Collins. Anyway, um, to deliver some sort of like a jump drive to the NASA the, – the nearby NASA um, campus, I don't understand it. Anyway – it doesn't have much personality. It's a pretty joyless, formulaic, bombast-filled action movie directed by McGee, who has really fallen on hard times uh, ever since Charlie's Angels, um, which is much, much better, much more visually interesting than this, which just has this very bland, cheap look to it. Um, you mentioned that What Men Want has sort of that you know, ugly hospital vibe. This just has sort of the vibe of something like battle Los Angeles. If you could see what was going on in that movie. Oh God. Um, <laughs> I mean, like if they had, you know, like the, 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 the tenor and kind of the, the, um, the color of the cinematography is similar, not the, not the actual camera work. Uh, I'm not trying to say that, but it's just very bland. It looks like a transformer sequel, um, a bad one. And, uh, it has that kind of energy to it. Um, not really much to say, uh, sadly written by Zach Stentz, who's written a couple of Marvel movies. He's a really on an off day here and, um, yeah, it's pretty bad. So be glad that you did not see this one. Uh, <laughs> so you don't even have to comment on it. What is, um, your number nine? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, my comment to it is that I will never watch it. And if Good. it was on my queue, I'm going to immediately delete it and burn the app. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, my number nine uh, does give a pretty delicious performance, and I'm going to use that word again later on the list. But this movie does give a delicious performance that, you know, when you're watching it in real time, it's pretty entertaining, and it's an interesting movie to kind of come back to after you, you know, haven't really been doing much. Um, and listen, I love home invasion thrillers. I really do. It's They're very simple. But once again, it goes back to the whole what men want thing. Just make it entertaining. It, it's, a, it's a done deal. You don't have to be uh, super serious about it. You don't have to be smart about it or you know clever about it. Just If you're going to make movies like this, 
just just do it and you know we can get on with their lives but the intruder is just i i can't i really can't now dennis quaid you know it, it is over the top and is cartoonish and that's what makes the movie but even you know uh in making good in michael ely's situation um when they figure out that the house that they bought uh, it, you know, was owned by Quaid, Quaid's character and he keeps coming back and stalking them. They're just, they're idiotic. They're so idiotic to a point that, like, I can't even accept idiocy in this horror movie. It's, it was just, just bad to watch, badly written. Um, I, I think, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, I think all the action sequences, or I say action sequences, but all the kind of like thrills are all cheap jump scares. I think every single time when uh, someone was chasing someone, they, they like to use that really awesome shaky cam until it looks like motion sickness, so you can't see what's going on, and that's supposed to be edgy for teenagers, I guess. Um, and a shout-out to Sony, which, by the way, thank you for all the invites this year. I really appreciate it. But shout-out for to Sony uh, for... Uh, I have seen Spider-Man Far From Home... Uh, I saw, um, uh, stuff like Charlie's Angels, um, Little Women, li- yeah, Little Women, <laughs> and right. I, I kid you not, I kid you not, I'm not making this up, The Intruder was the only Sony film I saw this year at a screening that required to bag the phones, and I'm like, who is going to care if this movie leaks? Um, I was like, I can understand, like, Spider-Man, like, your big, like, huge tentpole movies. I don't even, I don't know, Spider-Man might have had the bag and tag situation. I don't remember. Um, but even if it did, why why did you have it on the intruder? Like, that was the only thing I remembered from my experience was like, really? I got to put up my phone for the intruder? Okay, I guess they're... So worried about leaks on this movie. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know what else more to say. It's just a – and that's why it's so low on my list because while it may be a movie that's not for me, um, the movies that just keep toppling on top of, you know, 9 and 10 and 8 and 7, they just get worse and worse. So it's a bad movie. I'm never going to touch it again. So it's just like whatever. It, it, it came and went. So uh, number 9 is The Intruder. And I'm going to pass on it, so we're going to get to that in a oh, little God. bit. Oh, God, so uh, that, maybe I undersold it. I, now I'm excited to hear Joel's take on it. Well, just just for a few minutes. It's it's also in the lower half of my list, but um, but yeah. So I'm going to move on to my number eight, and I'm going to make this quick because I don't remember a single thing about the plot of this movie. I just remember <laughs> the, basic, the basic elements. It's called Cold Blood. Uh, now, this one stars Jean Reno, uh, who – once starred in a film I actually haven't seen, so I probably should have seen it before this, but called Leon the Professional, or just Leon, or just whoa, the, whoa, the whoa. Professional. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Joel, you've what? never seen that one. I know, I know, I know. I'm just trying to brush past that. Oh, man. <coughs> yeah, yeah, really quickly. Uh, that <coughs> yes. movie is fantastic. You, you would I, like that. I've heard it. I've, I've heard it is. A, a um, Natalie Portman performance that uh, even when <coughs> she was that young, you're just like, she is a star in the making. Right. And basically, they're trying to do a similar thing. I think plot-wise, here he's he's uh, called on to protect a, a woman or something like that. And there's like a there's like a um, uh, betrayal 
kind of a double cross. Anyway, I don't remember, but Francois Pettijohn, the director and writer, is really trying to, uh, you know, basically use the energy of something like Leon, drain it of all of that energy, and then ride on the fact that he's cast Jean Reno as a as an aging hitman, <laughs> and that's about it. So that's all I'm going to say about it. I I honestly don't remember a single thing. I didn't write a review of this, uh, so I might have had something to work with there. But it was, I do remember it was really, really boring and really bad. Uh, and just very, very bland visually. It ends on this like five minute chase scene that uh, barely seems to exist. Uh, it all, it all just kind of comes together there. And anyway, so yeah, that's my number eight. I know that you have not seen it. So what is your number eight? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, once we're again, uh, one, yeah, once again, thanks for recommending it to me. I'm going to burn it off my queue. Um, <laughs> so for my number eight, uh, this goes back to what I was saying with what men want. I saw two films in February that just, it just blew my mind on how bad they were. And what was really great is I had a great contrast cause I dropped, um, five reviews within a week. I did to dust high flying bird. Uh, what men want. I forgot what the other one was. And my number eight pick, and when the fifth we I reviewed that week, The Prodigy. Um, that was a great week because High Flying Bird and To Dust were absolutely fantastic. And then on the flip side, you had what was what was that basically? So, um, yeah, for The Prodigy, this is one of those weird cases where I need to go back and like listen to my review because I'm with Joel in this one. I don't even remember the the plot to this. I remember that the kid was, I think, uh, a killer killed themselves and their soul was possessed into this young boy. So, but we don't really know that. So it's just kind of playing with our minds. And they use cheap jump scares. And I think the resolute the ending resolution was stupid. I just remember just hating every single thing about it. And this is coming from a person that enjoys like schlocky horror films like i don't mind horror films that just want to like be cheesy and uh do jump scares i'm not like a huge fan of them but like if that's your mo then that's your mo but like this is a movie that came from orion pictures it was their first uh one kind of out of the gate uh to really kind of announce to the world like hey we're back uh this is probably why i didn't get an invite to child's play um, <laughs> they probably saw my review and was like, get that guy off the list. He's going to not like yeah. this. <laughs> he, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't really remember much about the project. I just remember thinking in the moment how stupid it was. And I think the kid was like just terrible in the movie. I didn't like Taylor Schilling at all. Um, yeah, you can definitely tell the movie was made for like 12 bucks and it just, to me, it was like a, a Netflix streaming movie that they made in like a weekend and it just got mediocre reviews and then no one ever talked about talked about it again. I mean that's that's pretty much how I felt about it. I'll guarantee you most people did not even see The Prodigy. It was just one it 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 came into theaters and I, I think it got like it opened to like eight million or maybe even five million that weekend and then it just kind of wiped away off the earth. So yeah, I mean, and that, and that includes me. I didn't see this exactly, <laughs> so. um, and I, I, it was trying to go for like the omen thing, and you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. 
it, it doesn't matter because uh, oh, that's what the fifth movie was because it got overshadowed by Happy, Happy Death Day to You, and so that is what uh, mm. that's why I for completely forgot about it because I was like, ooh, I love this sequel movie. What what did I see earlier in the month? The pro I don't even know. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Prodigy. I remember specifically walking out going, wow. That uh, even for a uh, a horror movie in the winter time, that was uh, pretty unbearable to sit through. Yeah, and I'm just gonna move on to my number seven, and this is where I have the Intruder. Um, so this movie makes no sense. So <laughs> just flat abso- out, just, just, it makes just no, no sense. sense. It, absolutely no logical sense, and not even. I mean, it's not even entertaining enough to overlook that. Like it's just a boring kind of bad, but it makes no sense. So the entire setup of this movie is that the villain, played by Dennis Quaid, um, is selling his house to this random couple, Scott and Annie, played by Michael Ely and Megan Good. Yet why in the world is he doing that if he wants to keep the house and kill whoever is in it? Why? Why is he – he owns the house. It's not like it's some old thing that he, that he lost control of. He literally sells the house to them, then tries to make them move out of the house by killing them. How does that make any sense whatsoever? Joel, Joel, complete... you don't understand. He, he's he's kooky loony bins. Like he, that's true. He, he needs that's... to make his life chaotic. Yep, it's yeah. an easy it's an easy out. It's a huge narrative oxymoron. It makes absolutely no sense. It makes the protagonists, this couple, complete idiots. Uh, who everything that that is bad that happens to them is almost all their fault, um, because they're so stupid. And the villain is is just Dennis Quaid acting way, 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 way too hard. Uh, and I mean, it's a fun performance. It's not a good performance, though. And it's just it's a very bad, very, very bad. Like movie. If, if it's, we're it's going... not higher on this list because, again, in in terms of the badness, it's it's just kind of dull. But yeah, it's it's my number seven. Yeah, so. and if I if I had to pick uh, uh, a movie with a pretty big name actor going absolutely, you know, crazy in a movie. I I wasn't really um uh ho- fully on board with it, but you know, I picked Ma over, you know, like some right. like intruder. Right. I liked I kind of like Ma. I I caught up with that later on. Um That movie yeah. is psychotic. It is <laughs> it is psychotic. It's basically the much better version of what this was trying to do. Right. Um it's actually it's maybe actually saying something. It's got a really good Octavia Octavia Spencer performance. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. It's it did a little troubling and troubled, but it's way way better than this. So right, I, yeah, I totally for sure. Agree. What is your number seven? Uh, my number seven is the only film that decided to skip the space bar on the keyboard and have both names together with two capital letters and not separating the words. Ugly dolls. I don't know why. <laughs> Sticks or whoever decided to make this movie was like, we're going to call our movie Ugly Dolls and have them both together and not separated. And if you think I'm joking, that's how it is presented on the posters. That is how it's presented in the movie. And it's even on IMDb is that. There's no space in between Ugly and Dolls. It is actually quite impressive. Anyways, this is an animated film from Sticks, which by the way, Probably one of my favorite YouTube comments I've gotten all year. Um, you guys are such a hoot online. Uh, one comment was below uh, below the review of that and said, well, why are you calling them sticks? It's STX, idiot. And I was just like, that's pretty funny. Uh, I'm pretty sure they refer to themselves as sticks films. Uh, STX uh, 
films. I've never heard it called that ever. Uh, I could be wrong, and I could just been calling it sticks, and maybe it's one of those uh, Bernstein Bernstein situations. Uh, uh, look that look that uh, one up. Uh, that one's really fun. But you know what I'm talking about when uh, when you see that little little thing. But uh, it's an anime film that basically there's an ugly. I'm gonna try to explain it as best I can. So there's an Uglyville, right? And it's a bunch of like old rags, dirty rags. It looks like, and they're just walking around. There's a human that like gets through a portal and is shot down a trash chute and they interact with the rags and Uglyville. And they're like, Hey, what's going on? And they're like, we're ugly rags. And that's, that's pretty cool, I guess. All right. And so they go to this like other town where there's like pretty people and the message, I guess, is, like, it's okay if you're ugly because you have a good person. Like, I honestly don't know why this movie was made for kids. Uh, the messaging, it, it just seems to be weird and really just kind of not focused. Because, um, obviously, I think what they were going for is good-hearted and saying, like, you know, you shouldn't judge people by their looks and everything. And it just... I, I don't know. I didn't really care for it. So the messaging was all off uh, for me. Um, the animation, it, it just does not look good at all. And I saw a trailer to, uh, what was the movie? I think it might have been Frozen 2. Uh, last night, they played the uh, Playmobil the movie, which is another Styx Films acquired animated film. The animation, once again, just looks like, low budget like here's five dollars make it work kind of deal and so i don't know man uh but it just wasn't for me and i think the biggest offense in the entire ugly well two two things one why were there songs in it just stop um it, it just uh you are not a musical hybrid i don't care if you're an animated movie it just it didn't work the biggest offense of the entire movie was that no kid in my audience was enjoying it like it was a packed house, and there were there was no kid engaged with it. There was a kid behind me that like I think was bored and was asking their parents if they could leave. Like I was just embarrassed throughout the entire thing, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, man. It, it was the same week I saw The Intruder, so seeing both of those back to back just made me reevaluate everything in my life. <laughs> so um, I would. What am I doing? It. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it for kids. Um, it, like I said, the messaging is just so weird, and it's just really clouded. It there's no direct um, anything to it. It just I don't know. It's just strange. And uh, please, for love of everything that is holy, put a space in between ugly and dolls. That's all I got. <laughs> I barely remember this movie, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. I think it was harmless and. I do remember that I sat next to this girl who was not into the silly stuff and was totally into the like the the few subversive things that they had in the movie, which was really amusing to watch. Um, but yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember a single song from that movie. I know it was a musical. I don't either. I think I, one I was don't... like "You're ugly and I'm pretty" <laughs> or something. Yeah, I have no idea. That could that could be it for for all we know. <laughs> Um, I mean, I know that they had a, like a bunch of musicians as voices in it, like Kelly Clarkson and Nick right. Jonas and stuff, or it was one of the Jonases. Can't remember if it was Nick or Joe, but, um, but yeah, it's it wasn't very good. Uh, certainly, I for whatever reason, like the worst animated movie for me this year was uh, 
was Wonder Park, and that didn't even make my list. So that that gives you an idea. Um, and once the, again, I did not see that. Yeah, so. you didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, all right, so I guess I'm moving on to my six, uh, which is ironically placed. I did not. I did not even know that this was how this was placed until now. So no, I did not uh, plan this. But my number six is the second um, Netflix original on my list, and that is Sex Tuplets. Um, oh boy! Uh, so this one comes from director Michael Titties. Uh, yes, that's his name. Sorry. But that is his name, Michael. Michael, or maybe it's Michael Tides. Uh, I'm not sure how to, how to pronounce it. I was just it. like, you really hesitated to say that. I know. Out loud. <laughs> I know. I think it's actually. I think it's Michael Tides. Uh, but he directed Marlon Wayans in a in a some like spoofs like Fifty Shades Black and the Haunted House movies. Um, and he directs him again in this, which is not a spoof. It is a sort of a Nutty Professor Two type comedy, with Marlon Wayans playing the entire like an entire family every member of an entire family. So uh, kids of today would say that he's going for that Eddie Murphy energy, but this pales in comparison to Nutty Professor 2, which I think is hugely underrated. Very funny. Um, this is not. It's a desperate, unfunny feature-length sitcom with uh, Wayans playing one terrible character after another. Um, uh, but he's actually kind of solid i guess as the main sibling the one that we follow who's named alan he's the normal one and i put that in quotes but he also plays <laughs> russ yeah he also plays russell uh who's medically obese and he and wayne's plays him as developmentally disabled even though the character is not and it's a terrible joke he also plays uh don who's basically just a tiffany haddish impersonation plays ethan who gets gold teeth and speaks like a 1970s pimp uh, plays Baby Pete, which gives him a chance to be digitally shortened on screen as uh, a dying dwarf. I, I'm not sure. And then he plays um, this really creepy character. I, I don't know if he's supposed to be like a parody of a get-out trope or something, but he's like an MIT graduate who's if, absent for the entire if movie. If you didn't tell me the title of the movie, I'm sitting here wondering, like, what are you talking about? Right, You're just exactly. going all over the place. Right, because he plays all of these characters, right, and they're all members of a family. He also, <laughs> surprise, 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 I'm going to just um, ruin it because nobody's going to watch this movie. Uh, he also plays the mother when she finally shows up at the end. I forgot. Oh, of course. Yeah. So he actually plays seven characters, uh, not sex tuplets. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Movie title. She he plays. Well, I guess septuplets wouldn't really ma uh, oh, make any man. sense either. But maybe just name it that. Like ironically, have a sense of humor. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, there's also there's also a really ghastly wrongheaded climax that literally has a torture scene, and I'm not joking. And I'm not joking. Uh, it is awful and unfunny and uh, way too long. A hundred minutes. That's about. Uh, I mean, realistically, about 20 minutes too long. Uh, in my in my imagination, it's about 100 minutes too long. Um, it's really bad. And I really want to like movies like this. Like I said, I'm probably one of the few who likes Nutty Professor 2. <laughs> so I like it when, uh, when actors take on multiple roles like this. And I will say, smallest bit of credit, they do make it seem like Wayans believably and fully exists with himself multiple times in the screen. Um you know, it's one of those things where, like, if you're doing effects, it's one of the first things they teach you. So it's apparently not hard to do that anymore, uh, or it never really was even. But it is sometimes hard to make them believably seem to uh, share space with each other. And I think that that's something that um, uh, 
you know, the, the like the the uh, the paragon of that is Enemy, the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, there's also Shadow this year that does a really amazing thing with it. But uh, and this is this is actually it's pretty good. But that's the only credit I'm giving this movie. It's um it's bad. So that's why I did, that's why I got one star, not like lower than that, because at least they were able to get that down. Um, but other than that, it's really really bad. Uh, so that's my number six. I know that you didn't see it. So what is your number six? <laughs> uh, once again, taking it off the queue. Yeah. By um, the way, I, I'm just gonna say like I probably won't even say that like leading into his choice. I'll probably just ask him what his choice is because from here on out, he has not seen any of the any of my remaining choices. So I'm just gonna make that clear. But and uh, <laughs> just as a side note, uh, one of my favorite experiences in life in general is i did get to meet marlon wayans in person and he's a nice fu- he's a funny dude and i've, I've I, heard his, i've heard he's really nice in person really yeah, really he's, good guy. listen yeah. I, and here's the here's the deal and he he's been stumbling a lot obviously with like this movie and the haunted house movies the uh uh 50 shades of black and everything they're not good spoof movies but i'm telling you right now uh the guy was a huge influence on me growing up, um, did you know Joel and I were in that sweet spot uh, age-wise where when, like, Scary Movie came out and Scary Movie 2. He uh, is so funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, right. he's a huge inspiration to me, and he was super nice and funny in person. But, my God, he has made some trash fires over the past few years, and I'm just wondering why. That's all. I just, just, just why? Because um, I, I respect the guy more than that. Um, I know that he's about to actually. I think he's about to take a more serious turn. I forgot the movie title, but he's going to be in one next year that is that is a little more serious from an actual like director of renown. And I, I I'm going to have to look that up later. But there is a, I, there's a bit also, of a turnaround for him. He also has one of the he ha, he has one of the biggest uh, flops in a in a single year that I I have probably ever seen in my lifetime. Being in scary movie and then being in Requiem for a Dream, yeah, um, that's so yeah. weird. <laughs> it's a it's a very weird uh, transition, but I, I I respect it. Um, right, but uh, yeah. So uh, I'll never watch it. Uh, sorry, sorry, Marlon. Uh, I will continue to watch uh, your older stuff, The Wayne Show, and not uh, this whatever that was that Joel just described. All right, Joel. Um, would you say that we are? We are Disney fans. Like we we like Disney, even though we have some issues with uh, the merger and you know uh, more existential crisis problems with the company. But I'd say for the most part, you and I is, like the company. What is Disney? I'm just kidding. Yes, we are fans. D- of Disney, Disney, uh, Disney. <laughs> Disney. Um, like you know, uh, you're a huge Star Wars fan. You know, we're both you know huge Marvel fans, and like we we like these movies and stuff. Um, and Disney Plus has been giving us some great stuff over the past couple weeks, but I think for my next two slots, oh boy, I'm gonna rip Disney a new one twice over. So which one's worse than the other? Well, you're about to find out. Now, I have not seen Dumbo yet. I still haven't seen it, and I probably won't by the end of this year. So we're taking that off the board. So obviously out of the two, we're dealing with Aladdin and The Lion King. Which one is slightly worse than the other? Well, at my number six, I'm going to go with Aladdin. Um, and uh, I'll explain why in just a second. And I think it it's very simple. It's because 
at least there's real people in this that make it somewhat grounded. Um, yeah, I I hate to dive into this again, but uh, Aladdin is just a it's a terrible reimagining of uh, you know the animated classic. I think everyone uh, just does a mediocre job. I feel, I really feel bad for Naomi Scott because uh, I really liked her in Power Rangers and I thought she was going to do something with her career. But between this and Charlie's Angels, I'm just getting worried for her, her agent or whatever. And uh, just as another sad note, when I was looking her up in her filmography, she is three years younger than us, Joel. So cue the crying now. Um, what are we doing with yeah, our lives? Yeah. Why are we not actors? Um, so, but yeah, I said this in my review when we when we did the show on Aladdin. I'll say it again. Uh, there's no vision behind this. Uh, Guy Ritchie is literally doing the the checklist directing thing where it's like, okay, we need uh, Meet the Genie. Okay, uh, big song number here. Okay. It was the same problem I had with Beauty and the Beast. Um, and all these live action attempts that they're, they're doing, it just – there's nothing – new about them there's no new approach with it it's just a copy of what we've already seen um and like i said it just it's just not engaging that way i think i fell asleep both in aladdin and the lion king for like maybe five minutes or so uh because i was just bored to tears there's just nothing to it that's even just compelling to watch um you know uh gentleman that plays aladdin i mean I, he he was fine uh naomi scott's fine uh i think will smith is actually probably the best part if i had to pick a best part and he was the part i was most worried about so okay um i i still think his animation as the genie looks terrible um they fixed it up a lot for sure but uh, it just the uh, final product no thank you um the guy that was playing Jafar, he was in a different movie. Uh, he stumbled on set, and he was like, hey, I'm doing this like Looney Tunes movie next door. Can I apply that same acting technique into this movie? And they're like, yes, you can. Please be, please be as cartoonish as possible. Um, yeah, he was in a completely different movie. Um, and that's all I really remember. Um, yeah, it was just a cookie-cutter copy. And... It, obviously, I just spoiled my number five, but th- there's a reason why the other one is slightly worse than this one, and it's only because there's real people in this, and it makes it slightly less awkward. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's the only difference. I just after the Lion King, it um, that was my final straw. I'm just I'm done with them. Uh, I just I can't stand them now. I, Joel and I are obviously going to watch it for the show, uh, Mulan. Uh, and I'm slightly excited for that one just because it, it could be a, you know, a war film. It could, you know, take a, it, the approach of, even if it is cookie cutter, it, it can adapt very well into live action. We'll see. But yeah, man, I'm just done. But Aladdin is slightly, slightly worse than uh, the other one we're about to get into. But, yeah, I just I can't stand them, Joel. It is the year of the Disney live action, and it just uh, it irritates me. Well, neither of them is on my list, but I completely agree they're pointless. And, and uh, yeah. All right, so my number's uh, five. 
Okay, we're here. We're almost halfway, uh, or we're basically halfway. Um, my number five is one of the another little tiny movie uh, you have not seen. <laughs> I just have to laugh just because of where my lists um, where my list diverges with yours. But it's a movie called The Last Man. Uh, this one came is a day and date thing. Came out you know like in a single theater in Podunk uh, somewhere. But it comes from director and writer uh, Rodrigo H. Vila, stars Hayden Christensen as a former soldier who is in sort of this apocalyptic near future where a huge storm is going to come and wipe out the rest of civilization, or so says a prophet um, played by uh, Harvey Keitel. Um, yeah, this is really, really dull and boring, and the opening scenes have Christensen's character Kurt basically fighting some unknown uh, insurgency and that takes the entire thing is from his point of view literally um, and it's just it's grimy and uh, incomprehensible and uh, you know really obvious very really just pitiful and that kind of just leads us into the rest of the movie it's just so boring it's about some war between kurt and a group of and like um uh some soldiers working for an authoritarian government a gang of really cartoonish neo-nazis um and it just all comes down to the storm that's a lot of dour self-seriousness and bombast and just not good uh none of you have ever heard of it none of you are ever going to see it it's already on dvd i think it never came on blu-ray um so, yep, there you go. That's my number five. Is a movie nobody's ever heard of called The Last Man. Don't ever see this. Uh, Chase, what is your number five? <laughs> oh, gee, I think We've it has something to do out. with talking lions. <laughs> um, yeah, it's The Lion King. Uh, and the only reason it is slightly worse, because like I said, it's all animation, and it's just it's really awkward. I think my biggest complaint about it um, was that, first of all, the the – Donald Glover, which I really respect, he was terrible as a lead. Um, he was just reading a script, and there was no life to his voice whatsoever. And you have to have life. You have to be, quote-unquote, animated in the sound booth to accompany the animation. Like You have to match its energy, and if you're not doing that, it's going to sound like you're bored. And you're getting paid millions of dollars to do this. So at least act some way excited. That's why the only uh, good performances I thought uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor was 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 fine as Scar, but my favorite ones were um, Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner as Timon and Pumbaa. They gave the energy. They they gave an attempt, and I appreciated that. Um, but yeah, uh, Donald Glover was terrible as a lead. the The actual syncing of the dialogue and their mouths were just so off. They didn't match it at all, and the mouth to every single animal was, was was robotic. There was no muscle movement. It was just weird. And then, of course, like uh, like Timon's uh, instance or Pooba's instance, uh, they're so energetic and they're so high energy that it just doesn't match their mouths. And so the whole time I'm sitting there just watching this going, I don't believe anything that's happening. So they're – with animation, you have to suspend disbelief. It's like you're watching these 
moving objects on screen with voices being shouted at you, but it has to it has to make sense. It has to make sense for uh, the setting and the environment, and it, just, it never came together. So it was just a really expensive CGI reel, basically. Um, yeah, some of the CGI is gorgeous for sure, um, but that doesn't justify wasting it on the Lion King and making a, once again, cookie-cutter move uh, to do the same exact thing. And when you do that, sometimes it doesn't work. And it's been memed to death at this point. But when uh, when Scar, or not Scar, when um, uh, Mufasa, when, when he dies, and Scar uh, pushes him off the cliff, it does that weird zoom out of Simba when he's screaming, and it just looks goofy. And it's just like, this is why you can't just cookie-cutter adapt these things. You have to adapt it. You, it's live action, or not live action, but it's it's a different medium now. You have to make it different. And so, yeah, just, ugh. So, yeah, um, I, I was bored by it. I think I fell asleep, like I said, uh, with uh, during like five minutes of it. Um, nothing about it was intriguing whatsoever, uh, except for like a visual point, because I was like, oh, cool, some of this uh, animation is pretty amazing, but... Other than that, it, the sinking of the mouths bothered me. Uh, the performances were lackluster. I think Beyonce was also just as bad. I just, I just thought it was a really expensive kind of showing off. Like, hey, we got some really expensive uh, software and computers, but uh, definitely not two hundred million dollars worth of uh, story or even uh, an ounce of caring. So, yeah, uh, I think the Lion King. If I had to pick out of everything Disney has slapped their name on. And I haven't seen like Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and I'm sure like Dumbo. There's a couple I've missed. Lion King is the worst one, and the fact that it's made almost two like it's like at 1.6 billion dollars worldwide, it's disgusting. <laughs> and this is coming from a person that thought it was, um, uh, you know, I I don't know what I was gonna say. I because uh, I was trying to. Uh, Pull out some box office numbers, but it is too late for that. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's really disappointing. <laughs> it's Joel, really that, successful. We'll yeah, it, it's really disappointing that because I remember when we were uh, when we were talking about Aladdin, and I had the same experience when uh, I saw Lion King. Like V and I both noticed this when um, when Mufasa died, uh, people were in gasp. They were in horror. They were just sitting there in dread and like in tears. And I'm like, guys, it does. It's this is not evoking the same emotion as the animated film. It was the same way with Aladdin, when some of the big moments would happen, people were like, oh, or like they would just laugh at everything. I'm like, it's as if people forgot about the animated movies and they either have never seen it before and this is the first time they're seeing it, or. Uh, Disney just loves playing that nostalgia game and not applying any effort to anything, copying what they've already done, and just getting the the nostalgia bucks out of them. Yep, and it's that's disgusting. all. That's all it has going for it. Yeah, exactly. And these people... and it and it doesn't even technically have that going for it because you can just go watch the new movie, the old movie again. Especially now that it's on Disney Plus, it makes exactly. the Lion King just completely pointless, um, completely and and entirely. Yeah, it's it's not it's not good. All right, so we're up to my number four. 
this is yet another movie that probably people won't have heard of, but it's bad, uh, and it is called American Dreamer. Now, this one stars Jim Gaffigan, uh, who is a talented guy, and he's actually pretty good in this movie as a um, as a rideshare driver named Cam, who is he's a chauffeur, and um, basically. The concept here is that he's behind on alimony and, and all of that child support. And he is also an on-call driver for a crime boss played by Robbie Jones, uh, who he shuttles place to place with, uh, you know, uh, and asks no questions about it. Uh, basically, he decides that because he's in such debt, he's going to rip off his crime boss who, you know, because of his good memory and because of the fact that he's with him all the time, he pretty much picks up on a pattern, remembers some of the places that he goes, and he decides to kidnap his girlfriend, played by Isabella Reitza, um, uh, his crime boss's girlfriend, I should say. And um, basically, the you can kind of tell that you know what the movie's kind of trying to do is that this is going to be a ransom thriller from the point of view of the the guy holding the ransom, and he's very desperate and all of that. Um, and so it's it's in, it's intended to be shocking and surprising and grimly entertaining what follows. But I'm going to basically say what follows. Uh, I don't know if this is technically a spoiler. I'm not going to reveal everything that happens at the end of the movie. But um, but I will just say the big gigantic inciting incident is the fact that because of a um, uh kind of an, uh, an accident of happenstance when he does go to um, to kidnap the girlfriend she's not there uh, but her child with the crime boss is so he decides to kidnap the child instead put the child in the trunk of the car and drive around while trying to figure out a way to make $20,000 and because of that the child dies in the trunk and because of that a bunch of horrors pile up for everybody involved this movie is just about completely in, like inexplicable in terms of what it's trying to accomplish, in terms of how it accomplishes that. The acting is all horrible. The, you know, I like, I like profanity in movies. This is one of the most pervasively prof profane movies of the year. It's only, I think, like 90 minutes. It has to have at least 250 F-words in it. Uh, none of them for any particular reason. Uh, you don't get the feeling that any of these characters talk like this or that they're human. Um, it's just, you know, over overbearingly vulgar. And um, it is it is truly, truly awful. Uh, it's directed and written by uh, – directed by Derek Borte, who I think – or Derek Bort, I think is his name. Derek Bort, who had some good, like – Buzz, I didn't see it, but there's this movie called The Joneses from back in 2010 with David Duchovny and Demi Moore. I actually saw that one. Yeah, that got some pretty good notices, I seem to remember. I don't think he's directed anything since then, unless he's done like TV work. I don't think he's made a movie. Um, and he co-wrote the screenplay with Daniel Forte. Uh, it's a really awful screenplay. It features absolutely no characters worthy of sympathy except for his ex-wife and son, and we barely see them. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's inexplicable, really bad, really, really, uh, kind of a low blow <laughs> type of movie, very, uh, uh, grimy and, and awful. So that is my number four is American Dreamer. 
All right. Yeah, Jim Gaffigan had an interesting um, uh, career, you know, uh, not, you know, doing as much stand-up. He's kind of diving into all these, like, dramatic roles. I saw him in the film um, Them That Follow. Uh, yeah, well. that's right. He's in that. Yeah, um, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. He, but. He's barely in it. Olivia Coleman's also in it, and it's just weird to see them together because yeah. they play a married couple. But uh, <laughs> oh, weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah. he was he was also in this interest. Uh, it wasn't a movie that quite worked, but it was way better than this. It was a movie called Being Frank. I actually think he would like it uh, more than I did. Uh, it's got him and a gun, um, Samantha Mathis, which is not a name you you hear very often. Uh, Logan Miller from Love Simon, who's a blackmailer in Love Silent Love Simon. Um, and it's interesting is about a guy who ends up having two families, keeping them secret from each other. So he's been, you know, sort of like, <laughs> it's not a thriller, it's a comedy, but sort of along the lines of something like this, where he plays this guy who's really hard to sympathize with. Um, and then he kind of makes it work somehow in terms of his performance. That movie was a lot better as a movie than this, but it's just interesting that he had both of those roles as kind of. Uh, on the surface, unlikable. Um, maybe a little bit more than that here, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty awful. Um, so that's my number four. Uh, what is yours? <laughs> We're just moving along, aren't we? Hey, listen, man. Uh, it's just when uh, we don't when you don't see most of mine. I, I think that it just it it goes a little quicker. So. Right. Uh, and this also uh, uh, points out a gigantic uh, flaw in the whole reviewing system because obviously you have more time to do this i'm just like (laughs) what is this movie and like all right moving on all right um my number four okay before i get into it i am fully aware i did not see it in its high frame rate it's 3d i am fully aware i did not see it the way ang lee intended to see it i saw it in regular 2d like a chump. I am reviewing it in the way I saw it. But I'm, I I realize that there's people online, Joel included, that seeing it in its true form does have some merit. And I'm not taking that away from it. I'm not taking away that, you know, Lee wanted to try some uh, ambitious filming techniques. I saw it in its 2D form. And there is some issues in seeing it that way. With that being said, Gemini Man is a pretty bad movie. Now, if you want to look at it on its surface, yeah, it's like a movie that was ripped out of like 1994. uh, That was like the movie of the week at Blockbuster um, that no one ever saw. And there's a man, this is a pretty cool little movie, Willow Smith. It just, yeah, the story itself is just, it's kind of whatever. This is more of just a a stage for the um you know the high frame rate and for for lee to kind of play around with that so that it you don't go there for for the story you go there for the action but uh to go back to the actual story for a second if i have to hear mary elizabeth winstead one more time tell will smith that that's his clone i'm going i'm going to go crazy that that was her whole role was like that's your clone yeah i know yeah he he does everything like you he's your clone yeah, I know. It's like, we get it already. Jeez, it's his clone. Uh, and even when they have the heart-to-heart with the uh, the clone and uh, Clive Owen, who, what, why was he in this? Um, <laughs> uh, he, he looks bored. Exactly. Yeah, it was weird. Um, but yeah, when he has that heart-to-heart with one of the clones, 
once again, it's just like the same conversation. I am a clone of him. We get it. Move on. Uh, and then when you find out the actual like nefarious plan that he has at the very end of the movie, you're like, okay, <laughs> like it's just like this is exactly what I would expect from like a, a dollar bin Walmart movie. Um, yeah, it, I think another thing that I found really problematic, uh, besides I think what uh, the the major thing, Will Smith looked bored as well. Uh, I I really didn't feel it from him as a leading. Man, I mean, he he's one of the best. Like he's got that charisma to do anything, but he just—it looked like he just didn't want to be there. Uh, I don't know why Benedict Wong was there. I think he stumbled off on a set somewhere, and they're like, "Oh, you're you were in uh, an Avenger. You're in an Avengers movie. That's a big movie. You want to be in this one?" Uh, and he probably got a, a nice little paycheck for that. But yeah, it was shocking that he was in it. The action scenes were also dull. And it's because I saw it in 2D and, you know, regular uh, frame rate for film, which is 24. And if it was in the daylight, it didn't look good. And the clone Will Smith looked like a, a, a Sour Patch Kid, just this gummy bear-like thing flying in the air. So there was no weight to anything that was even happening. And so it doesn't make it exciting. It just makes it confusing. Um and man, when you're watching the entire movie and you're like, all right, we're getting done. Like, this is the closing scene before we get to the credits. Clone Will Smith in the daylight was atrocious. And the technology is just not there yet to make them look believable in the daylight. And the only reason... Uh, clone Will Smith looked okay and decent in the nighttime and in shadows is because that is a wonderful trick for animators to do if there is a, a, a blemish on your your rendering excuse me is that if you put it in a shadow or like nighttime it's a lot easier to mask the mistakes because when you're out in the open and there's just sun pouring on you you can see everything and so it was a terrible shot to leave on so it was just a bad taste uh that i I had when i left i was like yeah what a what a huge disappointment i wasn't expecting a lot but for what paramount was like you know really propping up with this film and the technology i was like okay this could be like a a movie that lee's trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit and that excites me but it just uh all came together pretty poorly for me. And I did, like I said, didn't see it in its true form, but I did see it in 2D, 24 frames a second, and it just did not even work on that front. Even as a basic action movie uh, that Will Smith is in, it just didn't even work on that level. And I did see it in the frame rate. This is the week that I went on vacation. You you went alone. Um, I saw it while I was on vacation. I did see it in uh, 3D, high frame rate. Um, I agree that it's a complete just waste of time dramatically the, the, on, on a story level. It is just, it's a complete waste of time. Uh, I think that certainly the action scenes suffer from some of the digitization of this, the younger Smith's character, which is of course performed by 
Smith himself in uh, mocap, and then sometimes it's just, you know, especially when he's in movement, is just a digital creation. Looks really bad in the daylight, uh, even if he's in motion. But um, I'm I'm gonna give it a little more credit than you. I think that it I think that I want um, uh, blockbusters to look like this movie. I mean, obviously they're gonna have to work with better effects teams or better effects in general or whatever. Whatever needs to happen to make them look better in terms of the detail of the, of the effects, and obviously not not all of the action scene action movies are going to have Will Smith playing a younger version of, of himself. So you're not going to have to worry about de aging and all of that. But if they can if they can put the the use of this frame rate and this particular 3D, which is some of the best I've seen, um, then I think that I think that uh, I just I want future action scenes to be shot like this well um, and i i have no doubt that the future is going to go this way it's just that we're not 100 percent there yet so if, right, we're, right, if we're exactly. going to apply it in movies now it just it needs to be at least like 98 99 there right now it's at like a like a 75 and that's just not good enough right right and and so i don't hate it as much as you do but i i i didn't i barely remember the plot i don't remember what happens in this movie I just remember that it's, you know, there's some action scenes. They look really good. You don't remember uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead telling Will Smith every I, five minutes that he has a clone? Literally forgot she was in this. Um, <laughs> I, and I love her. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it doesn't have much staying power. All right, so moving on to my number three um, is a movie that should not exist, uh, certainly. Oh, boy. Uh, it is called The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Uh, this one comes from director Daniel Ferens. Uh, stars Hilary Duff as Sharon Tate, uh, as you might expect from the title. Uh, this story is complete garbage. Uh, it's just a it's a, just an excursion into ugliness and artistic futility, completely pointless. She is basically haunted by visions of her own death at the hands of Charles Manson and his family. Manson is briefly played in. Uh, I guess under different circumstances would be creepy by Ben Mellish um, as she arrives at her mansion or her friends arrive at her mansion and then are killed by Manson and his family. And then and that ends up being a dream sequence. And then it uh, turns out or it's a foreshadowing dream sequence. And then it turns out to be a revisionist history thing. And there's a lot of shallow scare tactics because, of course, he's just a ghoul and he doesn't really talk. It's bad. It's really distasteful. It's um, I think the only reason I didn't give this an F is because of Duff, who has always been a talent. She's able to have a certain devotion in this role, but man, it just does not need to exist. Uh, and I definitely am not looking forward to this this director's next movie, which is a, a trailer that Chase um, covered a couple weeks ago, the murder of Nicole Sim- uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, which. It it was certainly, one. It was probably the most disgusting trailer I've seen all year. Yeah, and it's certainly in line with this, <laughs> which is really disgusting. So yeah, that's my number three. I know that you didn't see it, <laughs> so don't don't catch up with this one. Um, oh gee, what, uh, what what my choices are: relive <laughs> my childhood and watch Lizzie McGuire, or watch The Haunting of <laughs> Sharon Tate. Gee, which which Hillary Duff thing am I going to go for? Right, exactly. Um, so what is your number three? We're getting down to it, buddy. Oh, man, this is it. These are the three clunkers that have defined this year so far. Um, now, obviously, the year is not over, but I really can't foresee anything beating these three. 
Like this this is it. So um so for number three, uh first of all, uh we, Joel and I saw together and uh we decided to go with this one over another movie. So that was already mistake number one. Mistake number two, I didn't have enough beers while watching it. And mistake number three was the fact that we spent two hours of our lives. And that's lives. a really funny joke because I think he had like what? You had three? I had, yeah, I think I had like three or four. And yeah. I needed more. <laughs> um, and then the third uh, wrong thing was we spent two hours of our lives uh, dissecting this thing. So I'm going to try to do it in five minutes or less here. Uh, Hellboy. Uh, it, it is it, – it's one of the worst – comic book graphic novel based anything that i've ever seen and this is a movie that i thought had promise because i like david harbour quite a bit he's a very charming guy and he's you know he's good at stranger things uh and he has the voice that has the the gruffness and this kind of like soothing you know deep you know uh, bravado to it like ron perlman does so i was like okay this is going to work. Okay, they're going to go more R-rated. They're going to make it, you know, more uh, kind of graphic, you know, and kind of go with some of the comic lines and everything. Like, I was all for that. But it was as if a five-year-old wrote this script and was like, oh, this, this is R-rated. Let's do unnecessary gore shots that uh, don't enhance the story or make it any better. It's just gratuitous. Let's uh, drop F-bombs just because we can. It's just, it was as if a five-year-old took action figures of the Hellboy characters and clunked them together and like, I'm making a movie. And it's like, no, no, you're not. You're playing with toys. Um, So there was that. Uh, I, I still remember, I think Joel and I audibly said out loud, are you kidding me? When they were going through like this, um, this carnage situation and we obviously see in this wide shot there are dead bodies on the ground we're like okay that this shot is fine you're establishing where they're at and what is happening and they deliberately cut to a shot that's a close-up of this like punched in head with all this blood and guts just out there in the open and it hangs on that shot for like five seconds and then it cuts back to the wide why why did you need that I don't mind gory movies. I am no prude. I own like the Evil Dead movies. I love gory things. But there is a time and a place. This movie did not justify it being R-rated. Uh, it literally was just like, oh, we're R-rated? Okay. It, it was almost as if like they had the R rating in mind and then they wrote it and were like, oh, yeah, we can add blood guts here. We can add the F-bomb here. We can add a butt here. It's like. That's not how this works. Uh, make it so it makes sense for your story. Um, on top of all that, I thought the uh, rubber aesthetics to Hellboy himself looked pretty bad. Uh, so the actual like practical effects were just not good. All the sets looked like they were uh, uh, off of like a television show. It just... I realized that it, it was it was Lionsgate and it's it's a low budget type of movie. I I understand that, but it was too low budget, and I'm like this this doesn't feel theatrical. It just feels uh, like a waste of time. And 
when they get to the climax of the city, the the actual battle takes place in like seven minutes. It's like and they're like giant ghost creatures that I don't remember what they look like, but I just remember like it happened because they were going to the city, I guess, and then they were defeated, and that was it. And I was like, what a waste of time. Um, yeah, it's it's a waste of time. Yeah, it's it, and it's really sad too because we got good stuff like Captain Marvel, Shazam, and then Endgame. It's like they were all sandwiched. Uh, uh, on the bookends of this movie, around like, this oh, movie, yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe this could be another good one. It was just like, what a huge misstep! And this movie tanked at the oh, box man. office; like, it, it lost Lionsgate a lot of money. Wasn't so. it like whenever Avengers came out, didn't it make like a thousand times less money or something like a hundred times less money? I, yeah, I think it was. It was, yeah. It was I mean, number. this is another. This is another one. You you really touched on it. The vulgarity in this. There, there's got to be what like 80, 90 f words in this, and none of them were necessary, and none of the gore was necessary. This is a movie that's just cruel with its gore. I mean, not cruel in like a like a hostile type of way or whatever. Just cruel in terms of it's just it's just assaulting us with it. It's just assaulting us with childish violence and childish language. Or childish cursing, and like okay, so completely, completely just dead end plotting. There, there's nothing in. I don't even remember what the plot is really, and I mean, I vaguely remember Mila Jovovich is in it as the villain. Oh, doing... which by the way, the VO opening the oh, movie with her terrible VO. I'm like, this is not how you open a movie. Like we are already me... automatically turned off. Yeah, when you wanna when you wanna instead watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation because it's entertaining, that's not a good thing. And so right. it's not on my list. I you know I was bored with it. Uh, I would have been more inclined to put Dark Dark Phoenix on my list personally. I know that we disagree on that, but it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, I, I and and here's the thing about the vulgarity thing. Just in case if there's people out there that go, oh, l- listen to these prudes. They don't like this stuff. I will guarantee you. If Del Toro made the Ron Perlman versions rated R, he would have made it more tasteful. I will mm-hmm. guarantee you that. So it is possible to do that because I, de- I, I, I know that we're dealing with like demons and all that stuff. So it it makes sense that it is dark and mature material, but there's a way to do it. Right, and, so and this is not it. It's, it's and- not it. And we are we are absolutely not prudes. I mean, one of my favorite movies, and I've watched I watched it for the first time this year. I watched it again in preparation for The Irishman is Casino, and Casino has four hundred and twenty two f words over the course of three hours, and 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 uh, um, an average of like two and a half a minute. I don't mind this stuff. I I, I like it. I'm I'm actually fascinated you and, you and by. You I both love the death of Dick Long. <laughs> yes, that was oh my gosh, movie. that's what probably 175 something like that. I, it, this when it's used well, it's it's used well and it's awesome. And it's great because it's how people it's how characters talk. None of these people seem like they should talk this way within this context of this world. This it doesn't make any sense. Now, I've voiced problems before with like Deadpool just being kind of edgy R rating. I I long for that kind of thing with this movie because this movie has absolutely no reason to be r-rated first of all even in general the the i get that the material is like violent and stuff but del toro made two movies that were plenty dark at pg-13 didn't go way overboard like this every single f-word stood out i i heard every single one and i'm desensitized to those now it is completely 
just completely inappropriate and and unnecessary. And yeah, I I mean, like I said, I I don't mind this when it's really you know woven into the dialogue. Rounders is another movie. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I recently saw Rounders. And that is a movie with, you know, the part of the R rating is pervasive strong language because over the course of, I think it's two hours, it has like, I think 200 and something F words, totally sounds completely natural coming out of the character's mouths because it's how they talk. And it's completely woven into that. And this is just overboard, overboard completely. And it's a whole like 150 less than that. So, I mean, it's, you know. It's just it's just needless. All right, uh, moving from a movie that is needlessly vulgar to a movie from Pure Flix, uh, for my number two. <laughs> Ooh, woof! Uh, oh boy! Please, please grace us with the the presence of this one. Oh boy! Uh, you know which one I'm talking about, right? It's, yes, I think it's the I only do. one. It's only it's the only one that was released this year. I think. Yeah. Um. Probably gonna make some people mad about this, but whatever. I welcome it. My number two is Unplanned. Uh, from directors Chuck Konzelman and Carrie Solomon, who also wrote the first two God's Not Dead movies. They weren't involved with the third one, but they were involved with the first two, and they really just bomb everything here. Uh, this is based on a true story of Abby Johnson, who was once a director, uh, the director of a Planned Parenthood clinic. Uh, I can't remember which state, but I think the movie changes it. Anyway, uh, she worked for a little while and then finally did an abortion procedure was horrified by what she saw and took to activism when she quit and started uh, protesting her old place of work. Now I'm going to say something, I'm going to say a lot of controversial things, I guess about this, but the first one I'm going to say is that, you know, at its core, this is not a terrible idea for a movie. It's about a conscientious objector and that's fine. That's totally fine. Even in this place of this political climate with um, a lot of debate around abortion, totally fine to make that movie because there's sides to that debate. And we can absolutely have a movie about either side of this debate. But this is an abhorrent movie. It has absolutely no – it has basically just crocodile tears about this, uh, about this particular debate. It has nothing to say about it. It's just melodrama. It's just recounting this story. It's taking a horrible side uh, on that story, but it's also presenting that that side with a muddled message because it's actually making some pretty like you know positive uh, arguments for the existence of Planned Parenthood, and then just kind of shrugging them off because everything else that Planned Parenthood does besides abortion doesn't really matter if they do abortion, and it's the usual argument basically. Uh, it's just a lot of hollow bluster. It has really bad acting from everybody involved. Um, it's worthless. And, and you can imagine like if this movie were a person, it would just constantly have a smug smile on its face. Um, it's bad. And also just a quick thing. Uh, it, it also has narration in the movie. Uh, Ashley Bratcher is the actress who plays Abby. Uh, and she, when she narrates the movie – this is just a small thing, but it goes to show the uh, the pedestrian filmmaking on display. It sounds like somebody has taken the microphone in which she's talking and wrapped it into like a paper towel, almost as if it, it basically muffles her voice. And so everything else sounds fine. Like the, I mean, you know, like I said, pedestrian. It's not like they have great 
sound mixers to work with, but that particular bit of sound of sound work is is just awful. And it just pretty much signifies like the rest of this movie is just it's just completely worthless. It's it's not a it's it's not a good it's not a good movie in terms of like its values. It's not a good movie in terms of its um uh of its filmmaking, it's one of the first. It's the first of two movies that I give an F this year, uh, here at the top two, and um, yeah, I just I hate it. So that is my number two. What is your number two? <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been a fan of pure flicks, and not because of the content. You can take that neither here nor there. None of their films are technically made well ever, and the acting is always bad. The writing is always bad. It's like. If you're going to give me any type of movie that has views that, you know, are the complete opposite of mine, at least just make it a good, you know, movie on a technical level because at least I can appreciate something about it. Um, because at that point, it's just like it, it you can't appreciate yeah, anything. And it's all, uh, almost as if like the real Abby Johnson, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that she had this experience. Like that's, right. that's horrible. It, it, not, not everybody is prepared for that. I don't know if anybody could – properly be prepared for that but different people have different reactions and it's understandable and it's and it's quantifiable that she could have that reaction to this but doing it in this way and also oh i i didn't mention the the mo- the worst thing so there's the scene of her witnessing the the procedure for the first time and one so two things two things stand out here one is apparently gallons of blood happen i, I don't think that that's actually how that works but literally gallons it's the reason the movie got an r rating uh for disturbing i think it's like uh disturbing bloody images or something like that and uh they tried to they tried to um appeal it didn't work because they were really graphic images and or fairly graphic images so there's that and also when she's looking at the monitor she's looking at what is clearly a a, a computerized creation of her watching what she believes to be the um, the sonogram image of the fetus trying to claw its way out of the uterus, <laughs> and it's and it's completely fake looking. There's nothing about it that looks genuine or sincere or real, and it's absolutely maddening because of just the bald, you know, blatant like manipulation on that. And it doesn't even need to be that way. All you need to do is make a cogent argument. You don't need to make this horrible, you know, muddled argument that you're making here it is complete nonsense and yeah it's not number one just because i feel like well there's another movie that i felt was genuinely worse but i just felt like you know what this doesn't need to be number one it's um there's really nothing like separating it from obviously i gave it an f so i think it's worthless but you know i was like well it doesn't need to be number one. It's just one of those things where I can't really I can't really explain why. Um, maybe their heart was somewhere adjacent to like the next block over from the right place, <laughs> I guess, or whatever. Uh, clearly, there are filmmakers who have a specific kind of um, uh, you know their heart set on a on a certain viewpoint. And that's that's that. It's a worthless movie, but yeah. So, all right. What's your number two? <laughs> I, I will. Uh, um, 
this is really unfortunate, but I think after that review, I'm going to cancel my Pure Flix uh, subscription service. <laughs> uh, so um, that's really unfortunate. Um, my number two, this, this is what's really weird about my number two and my number one. <laughs> On some aspects, they're completely different. But the problem is one of them, or actually both of them were trying to be serious. One of them fails at it, but has some good to okay qualities. And the other one tries to be serious and just fails at everything. So I have to give number two with the one that actually tried to do it and does have some redeeming factors, but it's still a bad movie overall. Um, I can't believe that we have to talk about the goldfinch again. Um, so yeah, this, so let's get the positives out of the way. Roger Deakins, even on a bad day on a bad movie, the guy can still make, uh, a, a, a turd have a shimmering gold look to it and be like, Ooh, that's a, a good looking turd. Still a turd. It's good looking though. Um, so yes, the cinematography, <laughs> I love that explanation. Sorry. Go right. ahead. Uh, so the cinematography is, it, it looks – it has, like, this nice warm look to it. Deacons plays a lot with um, natural lighting and settings, and it just – there's a lot of scenes that uh, does uh, have, have like, a Deacons touch to it. And so that's not the issue. The costume uh, design, production design, those are also not the issue. It's everything else. Like Joel said, the movie is six years long, um, and uh, that is the actual time. Huh, uh, so it was longer than that. Uh, right, right. Uh, <laughs> See, I thought it was seven, but I think it's six years. Um, I think it's uh, – if you go back to a theater right now, I think uh, it's still rolling. Um, <laughs> th- that was probably the best joke I've ever come up with on the spot. Um, so, yeah, uh, first of all, it's way too long. And if you're going to do like this sprawling kind of drama, uh, at least make it somewhat compelling um, – it, it just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, everything what Joel said, I really, I'm trying to like piece together like what happened because they flop so much in the movie, and then it turns into like to the like a heist film at the end, uh, so it just completely goes off the rails. I think the worst thing about it was its depiction of drug addiction and how it can affect someone and push someone to do that after a tragic event. I found it to be distasteful. Um, I think Ansel Elgort maybe did it twice in the movie. And the way it was shot and the way it was edited made it seem so intense. And then it went back to uh, another scene and we never discussed it ever again. And I'm like, this is a huge part of this character. Why are we not exploring this? Like, you don't have to be explorative with it, which in those two scenes they did. But you can do it in a tasteful manner, um, but makes it really powerful. And, you know, this is a a person that's struggling. Like, I don't know. It was just really weird. Like, watch the movie. You'll know what I'm talking about. The movie is, is going, is going, and then it cuts to him, like, in a bathroom. He's uh, shooting up the needle, and then it goes to the next scene, and I don't think we ever bring up the drugs until, like, 45, an hour later. So, uh, out of its six-year runtime. So, it's just... Yeah, it, it was really weird on that front. 
I thought all the acting was atrocious. I thought everyone was bad. And, of course, the worst one was uh, uh, Russian Magoo over there with Finn Wolfhard. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> like, it, it, it was it was such a weird accent. And I'm like, what is this kid doing? Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say. I just It's a missed opportunity because there's a good movie there. And what's frustrating is when you're watching this uh, 30-year-long movie is that you realize that there is a movie, uh, uh, you know, about um, how random events can affect people, uh, drug addiction, friendship, relationships, um, abusive ones, how to get out of that, uh, finding people that um, can love you in your life. Like, there's stuff in there that it it looks like they were going down the right path. It just it never went there, and it just drags this out into this really long uh, test that you have to sit through in an audience um, and not have to, you know, get up and leave. And so, for a movie that at least tried and failed, I can appreciate it more than number one, but it still failed. So that's why it's number two. Uh, I. You know, it's it's really funny. Um, people will look at this movie uh, and be like, oh, this is why long movies don't work. And then you'll have other long movies there that succeed. And, this, Joel, this has been a very weird year for two hour, 20 minute, two hour, two and a half hours. Like, this has been a, a movie, a year for long movies. And it's been interesting to see which ones hit, which ones don't. And uh, yep. this is the one of the failures. Yeah. It, it definitely is. I mean, you mentioned it's 30 years. I think somewhere around the 45th year, I was just like, stop. You're just right. like, I, uh, <laughs> have to, I have to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom after 45 years. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, I obviously agree with you. This is my number 10, and uh, we'll leave it there. All right. So we're here. Our picks for the worst of the year. I mentioned that I had some Netflix originals, and here at the top, I have a Netflix original. My pick for the worst film of 2019 is Polar. Uh, this one comes from director Jonas Ackerland, who also directed – he actually directed two movies this year. Uh, right after this came out, he had one I didn't see called Lords of Chaos with um, Rory Culkin. Uh, the story of um, – I forget what band. It was a band whose – one of whose members killed another of the members. Anyway, I didn't see that, but I did see this one, and it is deeply, deeply unpleasant. You, you talked about with um, with Hellboy – this sort of assault on the senses uh, with a lot of vulgarity, with a lot of graphic violence. Uh, it was a pleasant walk on the beach compared to Polar, uh, which follows an assassin named Duncan, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who is nearing retirement. And he's actually um, coming up on some of the small print of his contract, uh, which is which basically states uh, from his uh, boss, played by Matt Lucas, uh, Matt Lucas basically says – Two things. One, if uh, you turn 50, um, your your money can be owed to you by the the organization. So, of course, that gives them reason to kill the assassins so that they keep the money. Um, and then the other one is basically if they have next of kin, which absolutely makes no sense whatsoever considering the rest of the context of the movie, but whatever. Um, so he is nearing retirement in a, in a regular sense. They're about to retire him in another sense, and he sends off 
uh, Blute sends off a bunch of um, assassins to do that job. And we get a lot of um, women in scanty outfits who are just basically uh, sexualized the entire time. And uh, a couple guys who are just completely uh, interchangeable. Meanwhile, at the same time, there's this mysterious young woman named Camille, played by Vanessa Hudgens, who moves into the cabin across the lake from Duncan. And it should be pretty obvious who she is once you know something about Duncan's past that keeps getting called back to via a completely incomprehensible uh, flashback. Um, Another movie using flashbacks that are just terrible. Anyway, um, yeah, this movie is goofy, but in a really, really messy, gruesome, grimy way that that has absolutely no purpose at all except to be messy and gruesome and vulgar. And uh, this is a movie, I don't know if it has so many F words as it just does a bunch of language and a, and a bunch of British cursing cursing from Blute. He, he likes to use a certain four-letter word that starts with C a whole lot um, in this movie. Anyway, it's bad. And it's just, I mean, I know that you heard my sigh there. That's basically how I feel. It's just... It's just really, really kind of sadistic in its view of humanity. Has absolutely no idea how to manage tone. The opening scene is a hit from one of those, uh, from a couple of those assassins, um, and it's a hit of this of this agent, this uh, another of the assassins uh, that works with Duncan, um, played in a brief cameo by Johnny Knoxville of all people. Uh, who, when he gets killed, and I'm sorry for this description, but basically he's killed in a in a moment of sexual pleasure. So, of course, he has an erection, and the erection stays while he dies, and then we get a close-up of its effect on clothing that he's wearing. So that tells you exactly what kind of movie this is. It's um, it's just creepy and, and sadistic and cruel and violent and childish and meaningless, and I hated it. Every single every single minute, um, it also looks awful. The cinematography is is uh, visually repulsive, um, and it is all just a complete waste of time and energy and money and Netflix's uh, priorities and all of that. So, obviously, I'm telling you, Chase, to see this movie the first chance you get. <laughs> right, I think it's uh, it was. Listen, when it came out, I put it on my queue, and I was just so ready to do it. And I was gonna watch it tonight after we got re- done recording, honestly. But there you go. Yeah. There you go. Once, once you told me about it, now I can't watch it. I mean, just, yeah. You know, you're just gonna instead. You're just you're just gonna have to beat your uh, your your device to death with with a bat. Um, right. Right. It, <laughs> to it seems get it like off from there. this review, I'm gonna have to. Not only uh, burn the TV, but just burn the house. Uh, Netflix has just tainted it long enough. We just got to get rid of it. Um, so, so, yeah, that's my number one. <laughs> interesting. That is your number one. Um, you know, out, out of all the movies that have come out this year, this is going to seem like an obvious choice. Um, but it's justified, and I know a lot of people will not – have this movie anywhere near a worse list because it's a so bad it's good situation and in some cases uh that is true and even uh with this movie at some parts it is true because it is very bad um and it's so bad that it is slightly 
enjoyable and it makes the movie way more palatable than um, if it was just a bad movie without any hilarious performances. But it was a very off-putting movie. And I'll explain why in just a second. But the worst thing I've seen this year by a long shot um, and the fact that they are pushing for your consideration ads on this thing is absolutely hilarious. It's the fanatic with John Travolta. How do you not pick this movie? It is, it, it is just something to witness. It's a movie and it's just something to, to, to sit and watch. I cannot believe that this thing was just made. Um, so it's directed by Fred Durst, um, good old Limp Biscuit fame, uh, and of course he's directed other movies, but I just think it's funny uh, that he's a part of that. And I, in my silly little mind, he hasn't directed anything, and I'm just gonna say he uh, this is the only thing he's ever directed. And he's from Limp Biscuit because it just sounds funnier that way. Uh, so first of all, I have no idea what Fred was going for. Was he trying to be serious? Was he trying to make this, like, satirical? Was he trying to make it goofy? I have no clue. If you guys don't know what the story is, um, John Travolta plays this uh, stalker. He's really in love with uh, Devin Sawa's character, who's an actor, and he just wants to get his, uh, his autograph, and things start going wrong. He starts stalking him, and um, he breaks into his house at one point, and it gets really creepy and violent and you're sitting there just wondering like okay if this is like a home invasion thriller or if this is a you know a stalker movie like they've been done before like it's okay just tell me what what's your what's your tone like what are you going for it may not work but I will appreciate if you can stick with something and go for it I can't tell if he's trying to be serious or not because Everything that's not John Travolta is being serious, like deadly serious. There's VO over the entire movie, which makes it seem like a film noir, which is stupid because it's from a character we see maybe twice throughout the movie. Uh, Fred also has this weird thing where he separates the acts with paintings. Like, if you think I'm joking, watch the movie. The first act is done fades out and it goes into a painting and it's a foreshadowing painting of like what we're about to see. And it has like this weird music. It's very ominous and it's like, Ooh, isn't this like pretentious and mysterious? And then, so that that's the movie. But the problem is Travolta is so over the top that it makes it seem like a comedy. So if you're directing this story to be like a film noir weirdo star stalker movie, why on earth did you direct Travolta to act this way? It makes no sense on a, a, a like a director level. Like you have two jobs as a director. What is what is the vision of your movie? And get the best performances out of your actors. He didn't do any of that. He failed at it. Everything. Um. And uh, before I get into, like, I think the biggest issue in this entire thing, and it's, I, I think, I, I find it offensive. Uh, so, 
there's a lot of things that happen in the movie that are very questionable and very uh, and highly illegal that when the movie ends you're like why well first of all why did we go down this dark path why is no one really being uh, punished like it just it was just getting violent for the sake of being violent and it just I don't know it was just very off-putting oh and by the way and this is a real thing when they're in the car excuse me and Devin Sawa uh, I think he's with his wife or his kid I think it's his kid it, they're literally driving the car I'm not even joking and this was just to save money he was like do you want to listen to some music and Joel already knows where I'm going with this and the kid's like yeah w- uh, what do you want to listen to he's like you want to listen to some Limp Biscuit, And I'm like, are, are you serious? You didn't have enough money to pay for any song? And so you had to use your own? Are you serious? And they they literally blasted Limp Biscuit. It was hilarious. Okay. So the biggest issue with this entire thing is John Travolta's portrayal of this character. Um, so first of all, his performance is over the top. It's goofy. It, it is it is all over the place, and he acts like a, a giant child. Now, they never spe- specify in the movie if he has any type of uh, mental disability or autism. They never, ever describe it, right? But he has the symptoms of it. And so... It's really sad when this character is in these situations and, you know, noises are scaring him or, like, he's really freaking out and it looks actually terrifying. People are yelling at him and then, you know, he comes back and, like, he kills people. It's just – I just found it to be really disrespectful and offensive to people that do have whatever he's trying to portray and it just – I don't know. I just found it to be really kind of gross. Um, but that's what's weird about it. They never describe if he has anything or, or what. It's just he plays someone as if he does. And if you're not going to bring it up or make it tasteful, I just I don't see what the point is. And you're probably thinking, like, oh, what's an example of – someone have like a, a like a mental disability that uh is the lead in anything I, I was talking to Joel about this a few weeks ago if you if you guys watch that show atypical on Netflix the main character uh has autism and that is done in a very tasteful way I, I just I don't know what Travolta was going for um a lot of people are gonna watch this movie and just laugh and play drinking games out of it and that's fine for other Travolta movies and other Nicolas Cage movies that you want to do it with. I don't think this movie is appropriate to do it with because, like I said, it's just – if Joel ever gets around to it, he's going to know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's just – I don't know, man. It's just very uh, unsettling on the stomach when you're watching. You're like, why is he acting this way? And I, I, I don't know. Um yeah, and everyone else in the movie is also also bad. Uh, it's just – it's a really just – it's not a so bad it's good movie. I just think it's a bad movie. And there's some moments with other characters that make it funny, but, like, John Travolta is not one of them, and it just – it makes it more unpleasant 
than the so bad it's good category. So I think for obvious reasons, it is uh, the the worst thing I've seen this year. So yeah, and I'm I missed this one. I'm just gonna watch the Stan music video over and over again. I mean, that's basically the same thing, just with Devin Sawa in the role of Eminem this time. Uh, <laughs> right. No, <laughs> I, I I'd be I'd be curious to know like what you think of it because yeah. I I just I don't know what to make of it. Like I'm just like I'm. My biggest question is whose decision was it to a make this thing, and two, portray characters the way they portrayed them, right. without any rhyme or reason. It sound it certainly sounds baffling, um, for sure. So, all right, folks. Well, um, I guess should we? I'll just uh, quickly recap my list. You can recap your list. So my number ten was the Goldfinch. My number nine was Rim of the World. My number eight is Cold Blood. At number seven, I had The Intruder. Sextuplets was my number six. Said that word wrong. Uh, number five, The Last Man. Number four, American Dreamer. Number three, The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Number two, Unplanned, in my pick for the worst film of the year, Polar. So that was it uh, in quick form. Chase, quick recap of yours. Yes, so uh, number 10 is What Men Want. Number 9 is The Intruder. Number 8 is The Prodigy. Number 7 is Ugly Dolls. Uh, Number 6 is Aladdin. 5 is The Lion King. 4 is Gemini Man. 3 is Hellboy. 2 is The Goldfinch. And number 1 is The Fanatic. My Joel, what a year. (laughs) They range (laughs) all over the place from movies that cost $200 million to literally like ten dollars in a snickers it's just incredible <laughs> that was probably gold that was probably cold blood was the the ten dollars in a snickers oh my gosh um all right so uh that has been it for our episode on the worst films of 2019 on our next episode we will have knives out and the irishman reviews that comes as of when this episode uh drops later this week basically um We'll be reviewing both of those and um, looking forward to both. As of right now, we have not uh, we have not seen them. So be a good couple of movies to look forward to. All right. If you want to find my writing, it's joelonfilm.com. If you want to follow my uh, ramblings on Twitter, it's at real Joel Copeling. That's R-E-E-L-J-O-E-L-C-O-P-L-I-N-G. And uh, if you want to follow my daily progress on Letterboxd, just search my name. It's a great site for uh, sort of social movie loving. And, uh, yeah, that's where I am. Chase, where be you at? Yes, uh, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at RealChaseLee. If you guys want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at RealMeAndPodcast. And for this podcast itself, if you're listening on CastBox, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast listening from if you guys could just spread this around spread the love around let people know this is one of your favorites to listen to we would really appreciate that if you were new uh hopefully you can come back uh i know joel loves doing the list episodes i love doing the list episodes they're my favorite ones even if it's the worst of um but yeah the next list one will be the best of so tune in for that uh, so, yes, this has been episode 302, and next week will be 303, uh, where we will be recording a combined total runtime of what the Irishman and Knives are, <laughs> Knives Out are, which means our podcast will be five hours long. 
um, and that that's uh, okay with me. Uh, no, uh, but it'll be a lot of fun. Cannot wait. That is Joel over there. I am Chase. You guys are awesome. Have a good uh, holiday week uh, if you are celebrating the holidays and all that stuff. Um, and we'll see you guys uh, for another episode next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey you, are you ready? Grab your pack, grab your tent, grab your gear. Jump in, we're going on an adventure. In Arizona, there's so much to see, so much to experience. At GCU, adventure is never too far away. Offering over 200 academic programs with a Christian worldview and nestled in the heart of Phoenix, you can earn your degree in fewer than four years and explore everything Arizona has to offer. Find your purpose at GCU. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash azroadtrip.